0: Welcome to uh, Downtown Harbor Church. Uh, like Adam said, my name is John. I am the lead pastor around here. I appreciate you guys coming on out. Uh, it's great to see everybody. So today, we are continuing this series that we are calling Permission to Speak Freely. Um, and essentially, what we've been doing is having a conversation about the power of our words. Now, this And our slides are down. Oh, welcome COVID. There we go. Um, Anyway, so this title, Permission to Speak Freely, I came up with this idea by watching military movies. You've all seen them. And when you're a soldier and you kind of want to speak your mind freely, you have to sort of ask your captain, Permission to Speak Freely, Captain. And then when he gives it to you or she gives it to you, you can say just about whatever you want. Now, as civilians, which is what we all are, we've been given the permission to speak freely by the First Amendment. And that's a great right. I mean that's a, one of the best things about being Americans that we can speak our minds, but like we talked about last week, it's often that right that gets us into some hot water relationally. So last week as Adam was kind of alluding to, we we looked at some great advice from James, who is the brother of Jesus Christ, and he gave us some really simple advice about how we as Christians can begin to let's say more appropriately communicate with one another. And his advice was very simple. He said, you want to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now, this advice works with pretty much everybody we know. It works with your spouse, works with your kids, kids, you know, it works with your parents, works with your co-workers. But we landed heavily last week on on how we can begin to use this advice to have political conversations, because that's starting to ramp up just around the corner, and things are a little bit delicate and tense out there, if you didn't notice, So after last week's message, I got a lot of feedback, and I don't normally get a lot of feedback. I, I got to say, I, I heard from a lot of people, and the, the responses were very similar. And, and people would approach me, and they would sort of quietly sort of announce their political leanings to me. And they go, John, you know, I'm a Democrat. Or John, I'm a Republican. You know, I'm I'm a Trump guy. But everybody said, what you talked about, that's a problem. we got a real issue in sort of our community, in our country, as to the way that we talk to one another about politics. And we need to get that right. And I just found it very encouraging to know that everybody here at this church is on the same page. We all recognize that it's an issue. Now, the reality about moving forward, If we want to see this thing fixed in our country, the truth is we can't fix others, but we can't fix ourselves. And if we want to see the conversation change, the reality is that Christians, us, we just need to begin acting like Christians and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. So that was last week. Today, what I want to do is I want to continue that conversation we were having, but I want to dial down a little bit deeper, and I want to have a conversation about the the very words that we use. Because as humans, I don't think we recognize how much weight our words have, how much power our words have in the lives of other people, and how our words can really affect them at a deep and great level. So let me just start off by asking you a question, because I like to sort of ask questions to you guys. So did you ever say something you didn't mean? Like totally innocent, all right. But it just came out the wrong way, and you just happen to insult the other person, right? And and perhaps you've embarrassed yourself in the process. So, my wife Jacqueline. Um, now I've asked permission to tell this story. Um, she didn't give it to me, so I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, in fact, she stayed home because she knew that I was going to talk about her today, which is I have no problem with that at all. Not judging her that much. So. She is famous, and when I say famous, I mean in our family, she is famous for saying things that she doesn't mean. I don't know why, so let me give you an example. Ten years ago, we're dating at this point, and we're on the beach, and I don't remember the exact conversation that we were having, but at one point, she looks at me, and she says, I feel as big as you look. What? What is that supposed to mean, right? And I asked her to clarify it, and it still made no sense. I feel as big as you look. To this day, we do not know what she was trying to communicate. But what I do know is I now have crippling body dysmorphia, okay? Or maybe. Okay, maybe, you know, you make uh, sort of an off-the-cuff remark. Um, forgot immediately about it. But, you know, unbeknownst to you, you've now rocked the world of that, uh, you know, that person's world. So when I was in third grade um, up in New Jersey, we were doing our winter performance. You know, you put on plays in elementary school. What's so that? We're doing a winter performance. And um, we were doing Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Um, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. And I landed the part of Bob Cratchit. Bob Cratchit. So that's the father of Tiny Tim. Breakout role for me. Honestly, breakout role. So here's the thing. Thankfully, I didn't have any solo songs, but I did have one line that I had to sing, all right? I I had to sing, and here's the line because I remember it clear as day. The line was, Ludgate Hill is great for slaying, and I spent hours rehearsing this line. I, I had perfected this line, and on the night of the big performance, all right, when the song reached its crescendo and my turn came, I belted out, Ludgate Hill is great for playing. Ugh, oh, okay, I mean, like, oh, curtain closes, you take a bow, all right, parents come up afterwards, and they do the parent thing, my dad's like, son, it's not a big deal, okay, nobody knows what the line is anyway, and might I add, honestly, between you and me, John, I think playing is a better word choice, okay, I think, I mean, slang is so limited, playing, really, so I, I would not, and I felt good, honestly, A, parent a plus, parents did what parents are supposed to do, I felt good, not a problem, so we go back to the cast room because now it's cake and soda. We're having a nice little party. Miss Millette's there, my second grade teacher. Comes over to me. Hey, John, sounded like you had a little problem with that line. <laughs> Rocked my world. Okay, great lady, great teacher. Probably meant nothing by it. Probably forgot she said it You know, immediately afterwards, but I'm almost 40, <laughs> and here we are still talking about that. Okay, you've been there before. We all have. That's why Proverbs says careless words stab like swords. They, they really do. And so today what we're going to look at is we're going to continue taking a look at James. And what he's going to show us today really is one big PSA, you know, public service announcements, about the power of our words. And his goal today is simple. He just wants us to know how dangerous our mouth is that we are essentially walking around with a loaded gun, with the safety off. So he kicks off and he says this, James three two, We all stumble in many ways. And I think he's borrowing a little bit from Paul here. Paul says, you know, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's standard. So I think James is saying, look, we all, and he's including himself in it, we all stumble, right? We're, we're going to level the playing field here because when it comes to our words, all of us, at some point, some of us more than others, have messed up with our words. He continues. He says anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Essentially, what he's communicating here is that as Christians, as you become more and more like Jesus, the very last thing that you're going to get control of is your tongue. In fact, he would argue, if you can tame your tongue, You'll get control of your entire body. And then he hits us with some illustrations. And as you're going to see today, James loves illustrations. I mean, it's like one after the other. And what's so interesting about these first two illustrations he's going to show us is that theologians are pretty sure that he didn't make these up. In fact, they're pretty convinced that he had learned these from the Greek philosopher Philo in his work, De Apoficio Mundi. Worked on that all week. All right, now take a look at these two illustrations that James, the brother of Jesus, learned from a Greek philosopher. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Now, if you don't know what a bit is, I've got a picture for you, okay? So this brown thing is a horse. This, we never know what this guy. Okay, the brown thing is the horse. This black thing is the harness. And this little metal thing here is the bit. And so James is basically making this point that with this really tiny piece of metal, we can control a horse that weighs anywhere from like 850 pounds to 2,500 pounds. In essence, if you can control a horse's mouth, you can control its entire body. And so I was, like, I got kind of sucked into Google. You know, you get sucked into Google. And I was, like, wondering, like, this bit illustration, um, it piqued my interest. So I called my friend Jen, because um, she owns horses, rides horses. She goes to this church. She's pregnant with twins, so she got a whole road to herself today. So I, and I called her, and I said, Jen, I got a question for you. All right, can you, how long does it take for a horse to accept a bit in their mouth? Because I'm thinking, James is leading us down this path where we're going to have to control our own mouth. And he said that that basically takes a lifetime to do. So how long with a horse, just, you know, inquiring minds want to know these things? And she said something insightful. She's a nurse, so she gives you a really detailed answer. She says, well, first thing, horses, they're not like dogs. They're really like people. In fact, Native Americans once believed that horses were just reincarnated people. And so every horse, like every person, is different. Some horses accept a bit in one week. Not a problem. Others, a month. But then she told me that there are some horses that will never accept a bit in their mouth. Know anybody like that? He continues, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, and at this time, we have historical records that Boats uh, were upwards of 130 feet long. So it's a big boat, even by today's standards. These are ships that could have carried 400 tons of cargo. So he's like, think about how huge these ships are. Think about how much wind it takes to push their sails. And yet, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. So James, he's building his case. He's like, small bit. Big horse, small rudder, big boat. So also, he says, the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. The tongue is small, but just like the bit and just like the rudder, it has the potential to control the direction and the destiny of your life. And if you're not careful with it, you could steer yourself right into danger. Now, if you're not convinced yet, he continues to sort of offer you more advice. He says, consider this. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark, by a small spark, <laughs> small spark. Oh, gosh. Anyway, it's a little close to home right now, doesn't it? Right? I mean, if you, uh, we've got a family out on the West Coast, and it's scary to see what's going on out there. But he's like, just think about how an entire forest, huge areas of land. It could go up in flames because of one spark or one tiny match or, you know, a gender reveal party. It's just like it's a, it's a disaster. It could just go up in smoke. And then, then he gives us a little bit of a, a confusing verse. Take, take a look at what he says here. James 3, 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body what was that? James, we were doing so well. What happened here? A, a, of, a world of evil among the parts. Of, what, does that, what does that mean? So if this is confusing to you. If this doesn't make any sense to you. That's because this doesn't make any sense. Theologians will point at James 3:6 6 and, and say, this is one of the few examples that we have in Scripture, what is called a, a corruption of the text. Meaning that somewhere along the way, something happened at James 3:6. More than likely, a scribe 1,500 years ago copied it wrong, and now we have this. And so there's all kinds of conversation. I mean, this week I spent so much time reading commentary that these theologians are trying to figure out the grammar and the syntax, and what is James actually trying to say? And the strongest conclusion that I saw is that 2,000 years ago, James actually wrote, the tongue is fire, the sinful world would. Now that's powerful. That's poetic. He's saying that your tongue has the power to light this whole world on fire. That your your small mouth has the ability to burn your whole world to the ground. I think what James is trying to show us here is that our words can set off a chain reaction. One match, boom, forest fire. Same for us. How many times have you found yourself in a situation where it's like, all I said was, and then boom, your world is in flames. And as those flames begin to spread, more and more people are impacted by the words that came out of your mouth. If your boss said something to you, right? came at you a little hard, something that was a little inappropriate, just kind of burned you up a little bit, now you're in a bad mood. Now you go home. All right, you got to help your kid with virtual school. you blast him or her with a you know, a harsher than necessary tone. Now they're crying. now your wife's mad at you. I mean, it's amazing to see how flammable our world is. James is like, guys, you live in a wooden world. It's kindling, just waiting to be set ablaze by our words. He continues. He says, the tongue, well, it corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And in the original Greek, James is painting what's kind of known as a a word picture here. And and this picture that he's painting is is that of a horse and chariot, okay? And it's this idea that the charioteer has lost control. He's either fallen off and he's lost control, and the horse and and the chariot are now careening off into the crowd, destroying everything in its path. And so with our tongue, he would say, our tongue and our mouth have the power destroy that which is in front of you, your marriage, your relationships, your career, your reputations. I actually think that if James were here today, that he would look at the kids in the audience, teenagers in the audience, and he goes, guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. With social media, you could destroy your future. Because it's all fun and games until you say the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time, and then poof, your world's on fire. And with how the internet works, That's a fire you can't put out. So James says the tongue corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Sounds like something a southern grandma would say, right? Child, you got a mouth set on fire by hell, all right? Very uplifting stuff, James. Thank you very much on a Sunday morning. But he'd be like, sorry, guys. Listen, all right, this is serious business, it can't always be fun and games. And then he kind of shifts gears a little bit and approaches the discussion from a different angle. And he says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. That is, humans, we have been highly successful in taming wild animals. I mean, think about it. We've bred dangerous wolves into dogs that are now afraid of fireworks. We've we've trained dolphins to be on on TV shows. But he would say, no human can tame the tongue. This is what he talked about in the very first verse, the very second verse. He's saying, you're never going to mature to a point in your life where you've made your wild tongue into a docile creature. It's untamable. Which means you got to keep your eye on it. You can't let your guard down. And you can never underestimate its power. And then he makes a brilliant observation about the nature of our tongue. Take a look what he says. He says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. He goes, somehow, we've gained this ability to be spiritual one moment, and in the next moment, we're, we're barbarians. It reminded me of a great meme that I saw on Instagram, you know, when church is over and you're on your way to verbally assault the server at Red Lobster, right, you know this is you, okay, because we're all in here singing like, Lord, I lift your name on high, right, parking lot, fast forward, you know, you're beeping and cursing and screaming at your kids, all right, and if you haven't almost lost your salvation in the church parking lot, I don't think we could be friends. So James is like, Look, out of the same mouth, come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And he's not saying that, you know, you shouldn't curse at people after church, and you shouldn't. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this, this, it shouldn't be possible. It, it, It doesn't make sense that our mouths can do this. It's not natural. There's something desperately wrong. So he looks to nature to once again prove his case. And he says, Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My, My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Okay, bye. And he walks off. Literally, he's done. I mean, for 11 verses, this man has unloaded on us about the danger of our words. He's dropped bombs on us, saying, Your tongue can destroy your future. And then he just stops. He never resolves the tension. And I love that because I think tension exists in the Bible for a reason tension makes you uncomfortable. And we as Christians need to learn to embrace that tension. James' goal in this passage was not to tie a neat bow on this lesson, but rather to warn us, because he wants us to see the real danger of our words. And if we can truly grasp how dangerous our mouths are, then maybe, just maybe, we'll be more willing to be quick to listen and slow to speak. But I'm not James, and I do like to tie a little bit of a bow on it for you guys. So with everything that he said, what do we do with it? What is the practical? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So to borrow from James' analogy, the first thing that I would would tell you is this. We need to take responsibility for the fires that we've started. No matter your age, chances are you've all scorched somebody, all right? Now, maybe you and your parents aren't talking right now because of something that you said. Maybe there's tension in your marriage because of the words that you use around the house. Maybe there's a coworker who wants nothing to do with you. Because some conversation went south. If that's you, and at some point that's all of us, Jesus does have some words for us. In Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, part of being a peacemaker is admitting when we're wrong. But that but for our words, there wouldn't be the tension that there is right now. And so the least that we could do is say, I'm sorry. And that's not easy. It's probably gonna be an awkward conversation, but as Christians, we are called to have those types of conversations. Now, let me give you an example of what not taking responsibility for the fires that you start looks like. It's going to that person that you hurt with your words and saying, Well, that's just who I am. Oh, okay, I didn't I didn't realize that. Okay. So the rest of us Christians we got to tame our tongues, but you've been given, you know, papal dispensation to basically do and say whatever you want. You've been given a license to kill. I didn't realize that. Okay. Well, that is just who I am. If this is you, do you know who you are? You're the horse that won't accept that bit. Now, what Jen told me is that trainers don't give up on horses that don't accept the bit. They don't just say, well, that's just how that horse is, and let them, you know, go biting and kicking people. No. A bit is not the only way to tame a horse. So what does that mean for you? That means that according to James, according to Jesus, if you have some wild stallion of a mouth, you got to do whatever it takes to tame that mouth before you hurt someone you love. Secondly, we want to repair the damage we've caused. How you're going to do that, I don't know, Okay. But if you ask God, he will show you. Now, one of the biggest problems when it comes to the the, the damage that we do create with our words is that some things can't be repaired. Carl Sandburg, who's a a poet, said something sobering. Look, Look what he said about our words. He said, be careful with your words. They can be forgiven, not forgotten. Which means apologies, they don't heal everything we should do whatever we can do to be reconciled to that person and try to bring healing into that person's life. We need to go to God and say, God, what can I do to make this better? I can't make it perfect, but I can make it better. Lord, Lord, help me to to show them with my actions how broken I am over what I said. And then lastly, I think every single one of us, we need to submit our words to God. One thing is clear from James, and that's that no human can tame our own tongue. You got a wild animal up here. You might be able to corner it, maybe even corral it, but you're never going to be able to tame it, which means you need help. You need God. So daily, we need to submit our mouths to him. Lord, Help me to rein in my own mouth. As Proverbs says, help me, Lord, to keep my mouth shut and my lips sealed. But I actually think it's so much more than this. It's every morning, before you get out of bed, before you say your first word to your spouse, before you say your first words to your kids, or your first words to your parents, I think we need to go before the Lord and say, let the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. And when we make this our goal, to not just watch our words, but rather to glorify God with our words, we will greatly, greatly reduce the damage that we do in the lives of other people. Now, you're never going to be perfect, and that's okay, but we can always be better. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could be here today. I want to thank you, Lord, that you have preserved the words of James for 2,000 years. Our mouths are dangerous, Lord. That's evident. Every single one of us has hurt people. Every single one of us has said things, even by accident, that have caused some damage, Lord. And I just pray that today, you would touch us. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would truly begin to help steer our conversations in the right direction. That, Lord, we might glorify you in the way that we speak rather than hurting those around us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name.